Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Welcome in everybody to another All 22 podcast. It is a wild day today. Uh, a lot of news happening, a lot of things flying around. But first, I'm going to start off by saying, yes, we are live for signups on the All22 website. And you can use promo code second season. That's 2ND season for $20 off the first year of your All22 membership. So if you haven't yet, get in there and sign up for All22. You won't regret it. And if you do, uh, you know where to find Ray. Uh, but yeah, Ray, it was a huge week and a really big day today. Um, but I want to start off talking about a pair of 25-year-olds that just got big paydays, right? We're going to talk about two separate players, two separate positions, Trayvon Diggs, Justin Herbert, right? We're talking about two 25-year-olds that both just got paid for their respective positions. Um, and this is kind of what our whole game is kind of based off of, is how valuable the quarterback position is versus how valuable other positions are, right? So we're talking about two 25-year-olds that are thought of as high players at their respective positions. And Justin Herbert gets a five-year deal worth $262.5 million. Trayvon Diggs got five years, $97 million, right? So Herbert's getting almost three times the amount of money that Trayvon Diggs is. So he's more valuable, right? The quarterback position is more valuable. Uh, but let's start off talking about Justin Herbert, right? So I said five years, $262.5 million, 25 years old. His deal includes a no-trade clause, $133.7 million guaranteed. But according to SpotTrack, actually, $218.7 is in total guarantees, which is $33 million more than Lamar and $40 million more than Hertz. Uh, just for context, the annual uh, salary for Herbert is going to be $52.5 million, which will be the highest in the history of the NFL. Uh, and if you look at his grading, uh, he's basically – uh, you know, one of the top players at his position, right? 79.9 PFF grade as a rookie. He had an elite year two with a 90 grade. And then last year, you see him with a rib injury battling through that with a 78.6 grade. He lost his left tackle as well. It was a tough year for him, but he still showed why he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And statistically, you're talking about the best statistical quarterback through the first three years of their NFL career. So Ray, with Kellen Moore now as his OC, uh, what does this say about, Justin Herbert, how we should be evaluating him, and what does it say about his value in comparison to guys like Lamar and Hertz? Ooh, you kind of went where I was going to go with that um, because I'm not sure how to take his value or perceive his value versus actually those two guys who I had written down, uh, Lamar or Hertz. And I know you're a Tua guy. I might throw two in there. I, I think the easy answer there is with Tua's health concerns, you definitely take Herbert over him. But I, I just know you're a big Tua guy, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the contract makes a lot of sense. I, I always kind of chuckle to myself with the whole like oh, compa comparison of the guaranteed money because when you're signing a 25-year-old quarterback to a, a five-year deal worth over a quarter billion dollars, you're not like the guarantees don't you plan on having him fulfill the life of that contract or extending him before the end of that contract anyway. So I know it's like the big boogeyman for NFL owners to talk about, or, you know, fully guaranteed contracts. But like when it comes to a 25 year old franchise quarterback, it's freaking fully guaranteed, you know, unless he falls off a building. Um, so Contract wise, I think it makes perfect sense. It's just kind of the direction that you know the leagues are going and the market always goes and quarterbacks are always going to take the biggest piece of that. But I'm kind of interested in in Herbert's trajectory. I I I I just there the weapons there are getting a little older. I mean, you know, Keenan Allen, how long is that gonna be an elite target for him if those days are still even around. Maybe he no longer will be, you know, for 2023 and beyond just as age sort of catches up with him. Um, again, now with the money tied up in a quarterback that as far as team building goes, the chargers won't have the luxury of a rookie quarterback contract to take advantage of when it comes to team building. But on the flip side of that, 
they are investing in the offensive line with Rashawn Slater and then uh, another first-round pick in Zion Johnson on the offensive line. So they have two first-round picks on the offensive line, just draft another receiver. So I could see it, right? Um, but you don't just roll out of bed and replace a Keenan Allen, a prime Keenan Allen. So that's one piece of it. Um, I think he stays in that sort of four to seven range between a given year. He could jump as high as maybe three. Um, I, I I don't put him in the tier of Mahomes, right? I think Mahomes, you could argue, is in his own tier, right? And then I wouldn't put him in the same tier as a Joe Burrow. But in that tier thereafter with, in my opinion, a Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, uh, then you have Lamar. Some people will put Hertz in there. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, absolutely. Uh, he's in that mix, and I don't think he's a clear cut above all of those names himself. But then again, in any given year, any one of those names listed, I think, can be at the top of that tier. So I think he's in, again, that sort of four to seven ish range, which is phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's a great franchise quarterback that you could win a championship with. Um, but I am a little curious as to what his trajectory looks like moving forward when, again, sort of the team around him doesn't have the luxury of taking advantage of that rookie quarterback contract that they were dealing with before today and before this upcoming season. Yeah, you, you touched on a lot of things that I thought were pretty interesting about Her Herbert's situation in general, right? So gets Kellen Moore. He already had an offensive-minded head coach. Uh, they add first-round picks on the offensive line in back-to-back -back years. They add a receiver in the first round, right? So they're putting all of these weapons around him and putting him in what should be a great situation. And we're from New York, and it reminds me a lot of the Mets. It's like when you build this great team, and then just year after year, it's these like horrible injuries and losses, and it just never really works out. And I'm hoping that's not the case for Herbert, because I really do like Herbert. But that's kind of been what's happened so far in his early career. Um, when you talked about, when you talked about, uh, you know, always guaranteeing the money for these young quarterbacks because you hope to pay it out. I agree with you, but you look at Lamar and there's a lot more risk there, right? So maybe you don't want to do that full guarantee for a guy like Lamar versus uh, Herbert or Hertz uh, who, who run probably significantly less than Lamar will. Right. So I do think there's a, which little is bit saying of, something because Hertz runs a lot. <laughs> he does, but that's but, like yeah. Lamar is essentially half running back, half quarterback, right? He run half of oh, his game. Gosh. Ooh, is we running. that. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to get a ton of hate for that one, but it's, but it's, True, right? And he's dealt with injuries. Uh, you know, they didn't even invest in receivers throughout his entire career, Lamar, because they were like, hey, you're a glorified running back half the time. Um, but I do think Lamar is better than that. And we've talked about that, how I think Lamar is probably a better thrower of the football than Hurts, but he's not, he doesn't have the situation Hurts has, right? I, I, I do believe that. Um, but I will say, right, Herbert, in my opinion, has been the most consistent, right? He, he hasn't had as much injuries, or at least he hasn't let them, his injuries, a lot, like make him miss time in his NFL career, mm -hmm. right? And then also like Hertz, right? Hertz has one true elite year as a pro, whereas you know like Herbert's been pretty consistently elite. Um, I think that's a difference there as well. So I do have him slightly above those guys. Um, and something I just want to point out, right? So like last year's weight for quarterbacks was nine point seven eight percent of your total team score. This year it's gone up over ten percent already. Um, it's at uh, 10.68 percent this year, right? So it's almost an entire point increase, which is huge in one year. Now you have a quarterback go and surpass all of those other contracts, which will only make that weight go up more. But he is not the quarterback that we are expecting to have the highest salary before the season starts, and that's going to be Joe Burrow. So how does how does Herbert's deal, right? Herbert, who has has he ever won a playoff game? I don't think so. He's um, never won an so. MVP, right? Funny. They don't talk about him the way they talk about Dak Prescott for all that stuff, but you know, whatever. Not yet. Not yet they don't. But not only has he never won a playoff game, but he's never won an MVP, right? Lamar has. But what about Burrow, right? Burrow has been to a Super Bowl. Burrow has won many playoff games. What is the deal for Burrow going to look like when all things are said and done? It won't be too much different because I think when the quarterback is so young like these guys are, that type of stuff 
doesn't really hold back the negotiations. I, I think when the agent is on the phone with, I don't know, whoever's doing the negotiation on the team side, right? That that's, that's more of a talking point for Twitter. Like, Oh, he hasn't won the big one. Yes. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Whatever pal. Really? So go ahead and sign Tyrod Taylor or something. And uh, I'm sure he'll just love to go back to, to the chargers organization. Right. I'm sure you left on great terms there. Um, so yeah, I don't think that affects it too much. Uh, as far as that was something that maybe held Herbert back. And now with Burrow having more postseason success, that will catapult his future value beyond what you could normally expect the next contract to exceed the previous one by. So I think it's still going to be, you know, it's obviously going to be a little bit more because that's just what happens when you're the latest contract. But I think they're going to all be in sort of the same neighborhood, the same, you know, quarterback cul-de-sac there where they can do their own little uh, Netflix documentary about them all living in this beautiful, wonderful neighborhood and, and that whole deal. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think uh, to make a long story short, the, the sort of postseason narratives or success or failures uh, will have much of a difference when you're talking about 25 year old quarterbacks getting a long-term deal, when you're closer to that 30 mark and you are talking about someone like a Dak Prescott or a few years ago, a Kirk Cousins, I think that's when it comes into play maybe a little bit more with this team, these teams. Um, but these guys are still babies. They're still pups They're, They still have plenty of time in the league. And I think everybody, uh, you know, the consensus is that if you are going to make a successful postseason run, these are the guys you can do it with. For sure. I, I do think there's a situation where if Burrow wanted to, I think that he could get to that 270 range. But I think based on rumors is that's not driving him, right? The money isn't the only thing driving him, right? He wants to win. He wants to keep his friends around him. So I actually expect you to be right about that, that he's going to be in a close range to where Herbert is. I don't think he's going to try to blow it out of the water. Um, and I think the only person that might do that in the near future is maybe if Mahomes decides to get back on the negotiating table, right? And say, you know, my deal for half a billion dollars only has 46 annual uh, value per year. So I, I got to up that to be the highest paid guy on an annual per year basis. Uh, so if that ends up happening, I think, you know, that's when we'll see that number really go up to that 270, maybe 275 area. Let's talk about the other guy though, which is Trayvon Diggs, who again, signs a five-year $97 million deal, 19.4 million per year, uh, 21.7 million signing bonus. And this puts him at the fourth highest in total value out of the quarterback position, uh, both in total value and annual value, fourth highest at corner. He's 25 years old, like I said, and uh, his career high PFF grade was in 2022. It's a 66.9, right? So not an elite grade at all, um, but we know that cornerback is pretty volatile. Uh, he is a guy that has 17 career interceptions in just three years and also has 31 pass, pass breakups in that time as well. So we're talking about a guy that likes getting his hands on the ball, uh, is, is a playmaker, tries to make big plays for his team uh, with Micah Parsons coming off the edge. Is there going to be more of that? Maybe that's what the Cowboys are banking on. You're the Cowboy fan. What do you think of this deal? Yeah, I think people, it's 2023. Nobody takes a big picture view on anything anymore. But I think especially when it comes to Trayvon Diggs, people need to take a bit of a big picture view of his football career in total, right? This guy was a wide receiver coming into Alabama and in the middle of his college career switched to defensive back. So this is someone who's very young to the position. But what you expect or what you hope to see from someone transitioning from the offensive side of the ball to defensive back is playmaking ability, ball skills, making plays on the ball. And ever since he came into the league, if absolutely nothing else, Trayvon Diggs made plays on the ball. The other thing you would like to see from a player that is relatively new to a position like cornerback is incremental improvement, which you kind of touched on his uh, career high grade was in 2022 is while he didn't have the 11 interceptions, which was like the most in 40 years or something like that, uh, that he had in 2021, he was incrementally better down to down play to play in 2022, both in coverage and as a more sound tackler, just taking better angles to the ball, uh, executing his assignments, things of that nature, which is why his grade was higher than it was in 2021, despite all the, the turnovers he forced in 2021. Uh, so he's improving on all the other aspects of the game that you want to see from a young player. The other thing is that cornerback two spot in Dallas 
over the last couple of years has been weak. It's been very weak. So after Trayvon Diggs sort of cemented himself as a dangerous corner to throw at, you can, yeah, there's yards to be had, there's plays to be made, but you're also playing with fire because the play could be made going the other way too. Anthony Brown was not that guy on the other side. So a lot of teams started picking on Anthony Brown um, these past couple of years and they didn't have to take the risks that they were taking early on in Diggs' career before he cemented himself as a playmaker. So he didn't have those opportunities to make a game-changing interception or to make a play on the ball, drive on the ball, and go the other way with it. Those opportunities just weren't there. So he had that incremental improvement, but not the opportunity to make those big plays that could then really jump his grade on a week-to-week basis and then overall on a seasonal grade basis as well. Now they did sign Stephon Gilmore. I'm a little skeptical. He is on the older side, right? And and you know me when it comes to older corners uh, in general. But assuming that Stephon Gilmore plays at the level he played in this past season, right? And they have a more steady presence on the other side of the field there from Trayvon Diggs. Teams may start throwing at Diggs maybe just a little bit more. They have to they have to take some more chances, uh, right? Just by nature of you know if they have a potent offense and they have a stingy defense that they find themselves down themselves down during a game. They have to take some chances. If you take some chances, you're probably going to throw at Diggs, right? Because he isn't the most sound guy. He's a bit of a boomer bust player, but he's also going to make some more plays. So if he can continue his improvement that he showed last year, while also having more opportunities to make big plays this year, I think that's when you can see that, that, uh, that grade and his performance in all 22 really take a big leap. And in Dallas, they're perfectly fine with that sort of boomer bust mentality because that's just how their defense sort of is. It's, it's actually aggressive. Every defensive coordinator says they're aggressive, but Dan Quinn's defense with the the players that he has in Dallas actually is aggressive. And they do uh, take some chances to make plays on the ball and they don't mind giving up something here or there. They're definitely not a bend, but don't break type of, of uh, mentality on that side of the ball. So he fits in very well with Dallas. It's an easy extension to make. You obviously won't find this type of stuff in the, comment section on Twitter or X uh, or whatever it's being called these days, but it's a great fit for the Cowboys. And then if his, uh, you know, co-pilot on the other side, there's Stefan Gilmore can provide a more steady presence than he's had opposite him in the last two years. He can maybe take advantage of some more opportunities to make big plays this year. I like the deal all around. I do. Uh, I think it's good for the Cowboys. I think it's good for Diggs. I think it's good for us as all 22 managers, right? So Diggs gets his money. He becomes the fourth highest paid cornerback. You know, that increases the value of cornerbacks, right? Because once you get in that top five range, you're affecting the weight of the position. So Diggs will affect the weight of the cornerback position next year. It's great for fantasy managers. Uh, Like you said, Diggs gets uh, Gilmore across from him. There's going to be more opportunity for him to get his hand on the ball. I love that as a, as a manager of him. And then it's also him getting guaranteed money with a stable franchise, which is always one of the best in football, right? So he's never going to be in his entire career put in a situation where he's on a bad defense or a bad football team, uh, or at least that's what it seems, right? So I like that for Diggs. If I'm a manager, this is taking him up to his age 30 season. Uh, that's basically when a corner is going to fall off a cliff. I love that. And I love that for Dallas, right? He's going to get paid in the years that he should get paid. And then once it's over, you walk away. So like that for Dallas, like that for us, think it's good all around. Let's move to Hopkins who, uh, you know, again, I feel like we've talked this one a little bit to death leading up to him actually getting signed somewhere, but it finally has happened. We can talk about it briefly. Two years, 26 million. He's 31 years old. He's signing with the Titans. Um, there was never a question about the type of receiver Hopkins was, but it's really about what has he become, right? So he's missed 15 games over the last two seasons with injuries and um, suspensions. That's that's an entire season, right? So he's only played essentially one season over the past two um, and hasn't reached an 80 PFF grade in those last two seasons. So it's been pretty subpar. Uh, his yards per uh, catch He's down to 2.8. It's basically the lowest it's been for a long time in his career. Uh, and I'm looking at this deal and I'm saying, seems like a little bit of a sellout in my opinion, right? He uh, supposedly was trying to get deals with Kansas City. He was trying to get deals with some of these bigger name, more explosive offenses that are winning cultures. And instead he goes to Tennessee where it seems like they're starting this rebuild, right? Two years in a row, they've drafted quarterbacks early 
that doesn't tell me they're in a state where they're trying to win now, right? Um, they've they've drafted poorly. They finally get a new GM to try to kind of turn things around. Hopkins go, Hopkins goes there on a two year twenty six million dollar deal, um, and I'm looking at that going. You know, you were talking about winning. You you, you went for the bag. Yeah, it's. Um, I, do you think Mike Vrabel's like tired? I feel like he he drags this team to results far beyond their actual talent level. He just has to be tired. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, I guess, is also going to be tired because he's older, and I don't know. He's going to probably be doing the same thing on that offense, depending on who who the quarterback is. I I don't love it. I think it doesn't change my overall perception of it, though, which was he's a hold or a potential buy low if you're a contender, but you don't want to count on him in all 22. So if he's a top two receiver option for you, you're in a precarious situation because he could be over the cliff already. And we just haven't seen it because he's missed time or the missed time could be telling you, Hey, this guy's over the cliff. Wait, um, but I would, but I would argue, right. If he went to Kansas mm-hmm. city, I feel great about him being my number two receiver. Still 31 with, you know, nagging injuries lately and didn't end last season well before he was, you know, just basically shut it down. So I don't know. I mean, it'd be better. It'd be better than Tennessee for sure, but I still wouldn't want him to be one of my top two receiver options in all 20, especially with how deep the receiver, you know, position is in, in all 22. There's, there's, there's no need to rely on a 31 year old who's missed. Like you mentioned a season's worth of games the last two years. It's, I consider him like a bonus, like a, if he works out great, that's something that can buoy you. Uh, if he's your number three, uh, you know, receiver week to week, but if he doesn't work out, you're not losing much because you aren't counting on him. I think if you're counting on him, it's, it's, it's risky. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, I think that like the fit with Tannehill isn't terrible because when you actually look at Hopkins numbers over the last couple of years, he's been less of that deep ball threat that he, you know, really made his name on early on and was more of a reception guy. So with Tannehill, I feel like that's fine, right? Like with Mahomes, I think we were expecting that that old school Hopkins, he's going to be mossing people left and right kind of a thing. But him with Tannehill, it's probably fine for what Hopkins is now in his career. So I don't hate that. I think it'll be fine. But I think you're right. When he goes to Tennessee, I'm thinking more of, is he just going to like get his bag and like any injury he has, like even if it's like mild, he's going to be like, can't play today, guys. Sorry. Because it's it's not a winning culture right now. Like, yes. Yes, Mike Vrabel is the winningest coach, you know, besides maybe Mike Tomlin, right? Where where no matter what, whatever situation he he has, he's going to go and win football games. But it's not a winning culture in terms of those guys. I don't think I don't think those guys really believe they have a chance of winning the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how they how they how they could. That's yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess they in the locker room maybe they you know. Sure. If if you put a helmet and pads on me, I'll be like I'm the best on the planet. So yeah, obviously. But uh, realistically, especially coming from a free agent perspective, I I would agree it's definitely not ring chasing because if so, like you said, he would have been in Kansas City. Yeah, and that makes me nervous, right? Because I I do expect him to miss games with maybe minor things this year. Whereas if he was in KC, right, it's like every game matters. You're going for that one seed. You know, like Mahomes is gunning for it every every single week. I would have really liked that, but okay, we talked about it enough. Let's move on. And the next thing, again, there's been a ton and ton of news. So the next thing is Jimmy G, right? So Jimmy G passes his physical. We had talked about how there was the chance that if he didn't pass that physical, the Raiders could have cut him, owed him no money, and the Raiders would essentially be without a quarterback or having to start some rookie Aiden O'Connell, right? So, but instead, Jimmy G comes in, passes his physical, and is cleared with no restrictions to resume camp. Uh, so I want to know, are we buying Jimmy G? What do we think of him? Where are we drafting him now that he is a Raider? What does that mean for his value? If I'm shopping for a quarterback and the, I'm, I'm at the store, I'm walking down the aisle and I see Jimmy Garoppolo, I realize I am in the wrong store. I have to get out of this store completely and go shop somewhere else. Just, just period. Um, I'm so far out on him and have been for so long. Um, the so the PFF NFL pod recently uh, this past week had a discussion on 
the quarterback position after their QB annual is released. Uh, it's phenomenal, by the way. I've, I've, I've given it a read through and it's, it's awesome. But the basic takeaway in this discussion was that the, the Shanahan offense was the best at creating offense and big plays in the league by far. So the league leaders in yards per attempt on zero graded throws, which basically means that the quarterback didn't really add any value. He just made the expected throw based on the play that was there that you expect any NFL quarterback to make uh, was Jimmy G and Brock Purdy. Both of th- those were one and two league leaders in yards per attempt on those zero graded throws. Hmm. And then the gap between them and the third net or the third best in the NFL was larger than the gap between three to out of the top 10. So the offensive situation that he has been in for years has been absolutely phenomenal. It's been top notch. And he's going from that to Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas. So I'm just, yeah, that that's really all I have to say on this. I'm just, I'm just way out. I know Devonte Adams is there and maybe they work things out with, uh, with Jacobs or whatever. That doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm just, I'm way out on pretty much everything Vegas right now. So yeah, just, I guess if you have Jimmy G and someone's like, Oh, it's, it's great. He's back. He's healthy. And you could trade him for pretty much anything. I would just do it. Um, but I'm out. I definitely won't be buying. I love Jimmy G as my fourth quarterback, where if the top three guys go down or somebody's having a terrible year, I know Jimmy G's going to grade 72, right? Like, How do you know that? How do you know that? Because as long as he's healthy, it's basically what he's done. And he's, he's been with Josh McDaniels before. Shanahan right? is there. He's been with Josh McDaniels before, right? So he has familiarity. He has Devontae Adams. He has Josh Jacobs. Like, it's it, he has Jacoby Myers. Like, it's not a terrible oh, situation. Myers, the like, offensive yeah, line okay. is bad. Don't get me wrong. The offensive line is bad. But like the six games that Jimmy G is healthy for this year, it's going to be fine. Like he's going to be a starting level quarterback in the NFL when healthy, and that's fine. So if he's my fourth quarterback and my guy goes down or somebody's inconsistent, I know that I could plug Jimmy G in. What about the other two guys you have on your roster at quarterback? You said one, one of them is Anthony Richardson, who's not playing yet. Gosh. You know, because okay. it's week eight and he hasn't got the start yet. And then the other one is Kenny Pickett, and Kenny Pickett ended up being bad. So it's like, oh my gosh. you know, by Josh Allen, you know, is is hurt or something. Jimmy G is fine. Jimmy G is going to be fine. But you talked about the other guy already. But the other news is Brock Purdy medically cleared without restrictions to start training camp. So huge news for San Francisco, right? Because San Francisco was essentially. Uh, weighing between Sam Darnold and Trey Lance and didn't seem confident about either of them. Sam Darnold, they bring in on a really cheap deal to be the guy just in case. Um, Brock Purdy out of nowhere, right? Like this is out of nowhere that Brock Purdy's cleared because rumors were that he might not have been able to come to training camp at all, right? And they were just hopeful that he would be able to be, you know, like starting to practice week one of the season, which likely means that he wouldn't be ready to play week one. But here we are weeks away, right? Like a couple months away from uh, that game one, and he's going to start practicing. So, you know, I, I know you're not the Brock Purdy believer, but I feel really good about Brock Purdy this year. So tell me, why aren't you excited? I feel really good about Kyle Shanahan. I just think Brock Purdy is a product of Kyle Shanahan. So if Shanahan's humming and Brock Purdy's arm is working and they're putting him behind center, then great. I think that's a fine, viable option week to week. Just he's, he's limited. He's, he was, you know, is he, was he the actual Mr. Irrelevant? I think so. Whatever. But like, that's dude. It it was like that for a reason. He's, he's being dragged along by Kyle Shanahan, which is fine. It's great. Good for you. You're still performing better than other quarterbacks who have found themselves in that situation. Um, in those instances where Jimmy G had gone down for a few games, guy's name is escaping me now, but it was like one of those guys that everybody picked up on waivers as soon as Garoppolo got hurt a a few years ago, uh, in San Francisco. And uh, so I get it, but to me, that's nothing but a streamer. 
so the way you described uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in Vegas is how I would view Barack Purdy in San Francisco. Maybe my fourth quarterback, if something happens to my starter and I got like a developmental rookie or something, he ends up getting the start for a few weeks. But to me, it's no more than that. I, so this might come as a surprise to you, but I watch a lot of football and I watched a lot of Brock Purdy because they did really well last year, right? They, uh, they made it into the postseason and uh, they went on quite a little run there. And Brock Purdy, in my opinion, was a big part of that, right? Like when I watched Brock Purdy play, it didn't seem like there was a throw on the field that he wasn't able to make. And he made everything on time. And I know that that's a big Shanahan thing, right? Like he's going to tell you where to go. And as long as you can do what he says, you're going to do fine. But guess what? Like not everybody can do that. And a lot of quarterbacks can't do that, right? Like as good as Trey Lance maybe could have been, that's probably not his strength, right? His strength is probably being this explosive playmaker. Uh, But that's not necessarily what you need in the Kyle Shanahan offense, which is why a lot of people said, Mac Jones is probably the better fit in that offense than Trey Lance was, right? They were like, if Mac Jones was there, this would be a superstar offense and he would be, you know, doing everything on time and it'd be great. But guess what? I think Brock, they might've gotten that in Brock Purdy with the Mr. Irrelevant pick, which means they don't have to pay him anything, right? For a long time. And that's the best thing that could ever happen to an organization, right? To have essentially a free, like really good quarterback, even if it's a really good in a system quarterback, I think that's a great thing, right? When you look at his grades at the end of the year, from week 14 to essentially the second week of the playoffs, you're talking about high to mid-70 grades every single week, right? Like that is, that's better than 85% of quarterbacks in the NFL in that many weeks, right? So he did that consistently before getting injured. So why are we thinking that he won't improve from there after a year where he was probably started the year as the third string, right? He didn't get those reps. He didn't get first team reps in the off season. Now he's getting those first team reps and he's going to step into this offense now being the guy. And uh, I think he's going to grow, right? I don't think there's any reason why he can't improve on what he did. And I think that we could be looking at a quarterback here where I'm going to say next year, I'm going to say, Oh, look at weeks one through 10. He went from 75 to start the season. And all of a sudden we're seeing mid, mid to low 80 grades. Like, I think that's a realistic opportunity for Brock Purdy. Okay, so I got a couple numbers for you. I, I was pumped for this episode, and now I feel like I don't like it because I, I feel like I'm, I'm being a hater right now. You are, but, but okay. Okay, so Brock Purdy played in 10 games last year. Okay. Okay. He had five big-time throws, five total big-time throws. Yep. Dak Prescott played in 12. He had 18 big time throws. Why did this? How, Darnold, how did how did we get to Dak? I'm just. I'm just. Okay. I'm, 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 Sam Darnold, one, two, three, four, five. Played in six games. Mm-hmm. He had nine big time throws. Okay. Five in in twelve games is 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 bad. He was he was pretty much lapped by Sam Darnold in less than half the time. We're in exactly half the time. What makes PFF grade so great is that you don't look at one little area and say, this is the reason why quarterbacks go back. No, and the of reason course is, not. But your reason is, is because a few years ago, I looked at Drew Locke and said, I love Drew Locke and I think he can that's, do it. And if you look at his big time throws, if you look at his big time throws, I think he was like third in the NFL. At the end of the season, after a whole year, after 17 games or whatever he played that year, he was like third in the NFL with big I time throws. Him to so- Sam Darnold playing in a cluster F of an offense by run by dudes who got fired uh, before the season even ended. And a guy who had like a broken thumb or whatever the heck it was and like couldn't grip the football for the middle part of the season. Right, but what you just told me, and they were in weird any, mortal offenses. If there was any Shanahan in, scheme, if there was any offense in the NFL that you don't need a quarterback to make big time throws, it's San Francisco. San Francisco does not need a quarterback to be making big time throws to be but, successful. But that's, that's why I said he'll be a viable weekly starter. But you think he's limited to just that, right? That he's of not going to add anything. The Niners to, are trying to win a Super Bowl. They're trying to win a Super Bowl, and. It's because they've ended up with guys like Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo that they haven't been able to do that, despite having like monster defenses and a mad scientist offensive scheme. Eventually, that quarterback has to make big time plays. And 
they just can't do it. He can't even do it to the level of Sam Darnold when Sam Darnold's getting freaking pummeled in like a Mickey Mouse offensive operation. He can't even come close to keeping up with making the the amount of of big time throws to someone like that. I'm not even I'm not comparing him to a Herbert or an Allen or a Burrow. I'm comparing him to Sam Darnold right now, someone who's also in that same room with him right now. And I just eventually it catches up to you is what I'm saying. It's which is why I think he's great if he's a depth player on your roster and if you need him for a few weeks, yeah, you can start him and because of his situation he's going to do well. But eventually the chickens come home to roost and that you're telling quarterback me that the reason you're telling me the reason that San Francisco hasn't won a Super Bowl is because of guys like Brock Purdy and Jimmy G yet Brock Purdy in the playoffs when he was healthy beat Seattle and beat Dallas lost to Philly because he only played 22 snaps before getting injured right so like he didn't really have the opportunity to play in that game versus Philly I don't think either of us could really say that he's not good enough to win a Super Bowl because all we saw of him when healthy was him winning playoff games. The one that they lost was one where he did not play. Do we know that he would have absolutely got blown out by Philly the way they did if he was in there healthy? No, neither of us can say that. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that Sam Darnold's defense gave up 12 points against the Cowboys. 12. Says more about Most Dallas. quarterbacks. It, it, Sure, at 12 points. Okay, Eli Manning never won a playoff game where the other team scored more than 20 points. Just throwing that out there. Bobby, don't listen to this episode. Turn <laughs> it off now if you are. But we'll agree to disagree. I think Brock Purdy is a, is a player that you should have on your roster, that you should try to get on your roster. I'm not saying he has to be your starter. I'm saying he may be a viable starter down the road, and I would have him probably be my number two at this year and be very happy with that. So different different opinions there. Okay. Next item. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just, Next just item. go. Just All go. Right. Next item is let's talk about the running back situation because that was other big news from this past weekend that the running backs were kind of banding together. Uh, Austin Eckler led a Zoom call with all of the top running backs in the league to talk about the state of the market for running backs and if there's anything that could be done to make the situation better, right? Um, I think it's harder than ever to convince any team to pay a running back when the last 10 Super Bowl winners have won without paying a running back at all. Fournette and Percy Harvin are the only two running backs in the last 10 Super Bowls to make over $1 million, and neither of them had over $2.5 million. So when you're talking about guys like Saquon uh, wanting you know, $14, 15000000 million a year, the Super Bowl winners have, ha- have done it with running backs under $1 million, eight of the last 10, and 10 of the last 10 under 2.5. And, and I think... Guys like Todd Gurley, Zeke, Melvin Gordon, Kamara are exactly the reason teams are afraid of that. We're looking at guys uh, that got these huge paydays and couldn't live out the contracts, right? Injured early and essentially left those teams with a lot of dead cap. Uh, So they had that call. I think essentially they realized there's really nothing they can do until the next collective bargaining agreement comes up. Maybe at that point, there's something that can be done, right? Maybe, Maybe running backs want to be paid more as rookies so that they're getting the most out of their early careers. Maybe that's what's going to change. But for now, Saquon said, there's nothing I can do. He signs a one-year deal with the Giants worth $11 million. He gets $2 million of that as a signing bonus. Uh, it's really only $1 million more than the French franchise tag would have been. And I think kind of the strangest part about this is Saquon actually makes himself susceptible to another franchise tag next year because of this. Uh, what does this tell you about the state of the running back market? What do you think of the Saquon deal? I'm my mind's kind of blown that Saquon did this, so it's kind of shocking to me. But I'm I'm curious what somebody else thinks. Yeah, apparently there was reports of a a, a longer term deal on the table for around 14 million a year earlier in the offseason that was turned down. I don't know how true that is. If so, I think he should have taken it in hindsight. But uh, there's not much running backs can do. Uh, I think. The, it's it's probably impossible to pull off, but essentially they have to, as a brotherhood, fraternity, whatever, all get together and say, hey, after three years, which is when we can then start negotiating a long-term contract, you just got to hold out. It's just that simple. I played well for three years. You're not getting year four without a second contract. Period, point blank, done. That's it. I'm not playing under my first contract in year four. It's just not happening. So you could talk about a fifth-year option all you want. 
you're not even getting to year four, let alone year five, uh, without giving me another deal. I think that's the only way it could possibly get fixed, I guess. I don't see any other way, really. Um, there's been a lot of different things thrown out there that just wouldn't, that owners wouldn't agree to by, by any stretch, right? So that's just the only thing I could see. And I'm not sure how viable that actually is, right? And then you have a situation where, I don't know, um, one a good running back might end up sitting out after a good year three or something. And then the, some, you know, rookie undrafted free agent or something or fourth round pick comes in there and plays just as well. And then they go, all right, we're not going to pay you at all. I mean, it's, it's tough. I don't know what to do because it is such a churn and burn position because it's just not, they're not in control of their own success or the majority of their own success. Back in the day when everything was like eye formation, like hits you in the mouth, it was all about, hey, get you one-on-one with a linebacker at the second level. You can make a miss, then you can make some big plays. Nowadays, with the offenses, it's all about, okay, spread them out, and we can run the ball when the box count is in our favor and 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 that sort of deal. So it's less about who's the best one-on-one player who can either break a tackle or make someone miss, and those guys are super valuable. It's not like that anymore. It's, it's all scheme-driven and just blocking up front. So... They're really in a precarious situation. I mean, look at Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was by far the best skill player in Green Bay last year and for the you know, the years before since Devontae or you know, since Devontae Adams left, Aaron Jones was the the weapon there. And he had to take a pay cut to stay in Green Bay this year. And he's he runs circles around AJ Dillon. I don't I don't care what any AJ Dillon truther tells me. Aaron Jones is so far and away a better player weapon, runner, whatever you want to call it, than A.J. Dillon, and yet he had to take a pay cut to stay in Green Bay for this upcoming season. So they just have no leverage. They're not in control of their own destiny on the field, let alone off. So unless you could have the tightest brotherhood ever and just say, none of us are playing after year three without a second contract, I don't even know if that'll work. I just don't know what else there is for them to do. So a couple things I guess I'll touch on here. And one of them is I have trouble feeling sorry for a guy like Saquon, who at this point in his career is already set for life financially, right? Like the difference between him getting 11 and 14 million, like, I'm sorry, I, I don't care. What I care about is the guys that are the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh undrafted players who are going to play their first four years under that rookie deal or three years under that rookie deal and then they're just going to be done, right? They're going to be physically exhausted. Uh, they're not going to have anything left in the tank, and they're, they're going to have no opportunity to get paid, right? They're making 300000 a year, so maybe over three years they, they make a million dollars. But, you know, how much of that do you really get to keep, right? Maybe half. And, you know, like, yeah, that's still a lot of money for a 24-year-old to have. But when your career is NFL football player, what happens after that, right? And I think those are the people we should be kind of thinking about um, what, what round was, uh, the Texans running back from last year taken, uh, Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce. Was he a fourth rounder? He was, I think he was a fourth rounder. Uh, I'm, pick I'm, 107. Yeah. Fourth round. So I'm looking at a guy like him and I'm saying, what does his contract look like? They're going to run that dude to the ground, right? He is going to be an absolute star over the next couple seasons, couple seasons, but are they going to pay him after that? Probably not. Right. Like that's probably it for him. He might not get that second deal. So that's a guy that I worry about. And I'm saying, I do think something needs to change because I think when, when you're telling me that a certain person has extreme value to a team only for the first few years of his career, you can't say that you get those first few years at a discount, right? Like something has to change. And I think it will. I think, you know, over the next collective bargaining agreement, the running back voice will be heard and things will change. That's kind of one part of that. I think the other part of that is uh, there was a great article by the by the Athletic talking about how kind of you compare Saquon's production to two types of running backs, right? You 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 do the the runners on the ground, which is like the Derrick Henry, the Nick Chubbs, and then you do the guys like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and look at his production, right? No, he's not as good of a runner as the Henry or the Chubb. No, he maybe isn't as good of a receiver as the Kamara or the um, McCaffrey but he's probably somewhere in between those two groups. And if you look at his production 
it is basically between those two groups. And you look at the pay difference between them, uh, you know, the Henrys and the Chubbs getting that 14 million a year range. And then you look at Kamara and McCaffrey, like getting that 16 million a year range. I think Saquon wanted to be somewhere between that. And they tried to put him on that Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry side. And he wanted to be in the middle, right? So I think he wasn't asking to be the top. I bet he was asking for that 15 million a year range. And they said, no. Um, again, I, I have trouble feeling sorry for Saquon about that, but I do think there's something to be said, right? The value of the running back position is essentially interchangeable if all you are is a runner. But if you add a receiving element to it, your value is different, right? And that's where the the McCaffrey's, right? Like a team like San Francisco goes, we're a much better team with McCaffrey than we are without him. They go and get a guy like that, right? Or Kamar getting paid big bucks when he's healthy and he's on the field. He's a great player because of that receiving ability. And you talked about Aaron Jones, right? That is why Aaron Jones is so special in Green Bay because he adds that element that A.J. Dillon could never add. Um, so Saquon, right? Taking $11 million instead of taking $14 million a year still baffles me because now he can't sign a long-term deal. He, he is unable to until next year. That's terrifying. I'd rather have taken the franchise tag save your 2 million. I'll get it over the course of the season. And then next year I want that, that money, but I very easily could see Saquon now playing out this year and getting franchise tag next year and being pissed out of his mind, right? That he's not going to want to play next year. And I don't blame him, but to me, he was a little greedy taking this 11 million just to get a $2 million signing bonus. I, I don't think it makes all that much sense. So I'm going to do something I hate doing. I, I hate this. Okay. Because they did this with Ezekiel Elliott and his missed time with his quarterback, when in reality was because of Tyron Smith also missing that same amount of time. But anyway, I'm going to do this anyway. And I'm going to steal this from RG3. You might have seen it already. A bunch of people probably have the split, right? Daniel Jones with Saquon Barkley over 37 games, 46 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. Daniel Jones without Saquon Barkley, which is over 19 games, 16 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Wow. Normally, I, I dismiss that. I hate that stuff because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. You can make a stat say whatever you want. But anybody who watches the Giants knows that entire offense, that engine is Saquon Barkley. He's the playmaker there, right? It, you take him away and you're on the field. You're looking at Richie James and, and I don't know, wasn't Kenny Galladay still under contract last year? I don't know, right? Yep. Uh, it's he was that offense. They made the playoffs because of Saquon Barkley. And I hear what you were saying about the production, but also good sound NFL minds know and understand Saquon Barkley. If he were in even just a league average situation would blow that out of the water. He's a better receiver I'll put him up against any running back in the league, period. Okay, line them up against Marshawn Lattimore. Let's see them catch a 50-yard touchdown in man coverage against Marshawn Lattimore. Okay, and he'll just he, – he's got multiple plays like that. And he's just – as a pure runner, I'm sorry, to me, he's number one in the league and has been. He's just, again, going back to they don't control their own destiny even on the field. His blocking, his situation, everything has been horrible. I think he is the engine that makes the Giants run. And just because Jones is the quarterback, he got the long-term deal. They slapped the franchise tag on him. And this is just kind of where it ended up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. GMs look at Gurley. They look at Elliott. They look at David Johnson. And they just, you know, they, they were saddled with horrible contracts at the end of those careers. Pretty much as soon as those big contracts were signed, those guys fell off a cliff. So I get it. I'm sorry, guys like Saquon are different. McCaffrey is different. To me, Aaron Jones is different. Kamara, kind of a different style overall, which has allowed him to be in the game a little bit longer and do what he does. There are very few players who are different. Saquon's one of those guys, and he's still got the short end of the stick, whereas some of the other guys who are different, they didn't, though. Like Aaron Jones still got you know, a decent amount of money, you know, a dozen mil plus, for a couple of years. Derrick Henry got a big deal. McCaffrey got a big deal. Saquon's the one that was saddled with the worst situation out of all of them coming into the league and now has the worst contract situation, you know, in the middle of his career. So 
don't don't ever tell me you don't feel sorry for Saquon. I he he you should feel sorry for Saquon always. I think some Giants fan would disagree with you because uh, if you watched before this season some Saquon, my uncle called it duping in the backfield. I don't know if you remember. I remember. That, right? Oh yeah, no but duping in the backfield. No duping in the backfield, right? So like Saquon would get the handoff and try to do way too much instead of sometimes just hitting his hole, and that was a big problem. Like Giants fans were like essentially. I heard some saying, you put somebody else in there, they're going to be better because they're just going to run into the hole. And because that offensive line is so bad, you can't create magic when you're getting hit in the face, right? Sometimes you just need to do what the assignment is. And Saquon was essentially unwilling to do that a couple of years ago. But this past year, we saw a different Saquon. He was willing to do that, and he looked a lot better. So saying that he made the Giants engine run, I don't think that's true for the entirety of his time there. And then also the other element is, right, he's had a lot of injuries. So to say that he's, you know, this special running back is fair, but what does he have in common with those two groups? Yes, he's special, but he has the injury history of some of those guys that failed, right, With that made those contracts bad. I could see that, like, if I'm the Giants personally, I'm not paying Saquon. I would do exactly what they did. I'd franchise him next year. I'd make him play under that. If he didn't want to, sorry, Saquon, I'll see you later. Cause I wouldn't want that risk on my, on my uh, salary cap. It's fair. Just even if you had Joe Mixon on the giants last year, if you had Joe Mixon on the giants, in my opinion, a top 10 running back in the league, top 12, if you want to be, you know, whatever conservative, that's a seven and 10 team or six and 11 team, even with Joe Mixon at running back instead of Saquon Barkley. So you think Saquon was worth three wins last year? Yeah. Three, three or Did four. That team? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's yes. like, that's like quarterback win wins right there. That's like uh that's big. That's big. You're, you're saying a lot there. Who, who else picks up the slack? He, he was the guy. He was the guy last year. He dragged them to a playoff win. Oh, after like the worst decade in that franchise's history, this guy dragged them to a playoff victory on the road. Yeah, and they're just like, yeah, nah. Daniel Jones, come on in. We're gonna we're gonna get you a, a you know a great weapon here. We're gonna get you Paris Campbell. Here you go, Daniel Jones and Paris Campbell. We'll be fine. Oh, okay. If I was a GM, I also would not have given Daniel Jones the deal that they did. I would have franchise tagged Daniel Jones because I want to see more than one year of production out of Daniel Jones. So I, I agree with you. I would never have done that, but I still probably wouldn't have paid Saquon what he thinks he's worth. But let's maybe move we'll on. A, yeah. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode. We go game by game and I will tell you, I will show you the games where without Saquon it's an L and how it changes the entire season. We should do that bonus for the episode. upcoming season. Just like, that'll be like a segment of the pot. Like how did Saquon affect the game this week? We'll, we'll talk about it. We, we'll draw go. some things up. Let's move on. The last kind of, contract discussion that's happening right now is Chris Jones. So Chris Jones of the chiefs defensive interior is not reporting to camp because he is on the last deal of last year of his deal with the chiefs. He's got about 20 million owed to him this year, uh, but that's it. Right. And uh, his previous deal had him about eighth. Currently, if you look at like his, his total value, it was at like $80 million or something like that. He falls now eighth on the list of defensive interiors behind guys like Quentin Williams, Quinn Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, Darren Payne, Dexter Lawrence, like all of those guys have passed him on both total value and average per year. Uh, so Chris Jones is sitting there going, I'm better than those guys. Like I am, I'm probably behind Aaron Donald, the best defensive interior in the league. So uh, pay me, right? So that's kind of what's happening there right now in Kansas City. If you look at his PFF grading, right, six years in a row with above 80 PFF grading, three of those actually hit above 90. And last year he finished tied as the defensive interior one with a 92 PFF grade defensive PFF grade, which is, again, that's like incredible, right? That's as good as it gets. Number uh, tied for first. So there's no question he's one of the best in the league uh, and he wants to get paid. He's turning 30 next year. This is probably the last time he's going to be able to get an extension of more than maybe one or two years. So Ray, what do you think Chris Jones should get how do you value him in PF in uh, all 22 and like, how is this all going to play out? I can't even make this like an all 22 segment because it's just exactly the, it's just a glove, a mirror image of how he's valued in real life and how this thing is going to get done. Right. To me, Chris Jones not reporting means absolutely nothing. It's going to get done. 
like I said, he was the highest score and the highest graded defensive interior player in the game last season. After this year, his contract is up, like you mentioned, and he's 29 years old. So he's looking to strike before that magical 3-0 and likely get like a two-year extension for more money and just, you know, lock in some more security from himself. And the Chiefs are going to do it because he is the lifeblood of that defense, just like he would be for any NFL team and just like he is for any user who has him on their all-22 defensive line. He's the number two graded pass rusher, number six graded run defender, and number one overall defensive interior player in the NFL in 2022. He's too important to them because he plays a high level at a high value position, unlike the running back discussion that we just had. And he's just too important for it to not get done. So it's going to get done. They're not going to trot out there on defense with, I don't know, just George Karlaftis and and uh, who they get FAU on, on their D line too, and they he is the guy. He without him, that defense goes from above average to sieve in a hurry, and so it's going to get done. He he's the difference maker. He's going to probably get second to Aaron Donald money, and he deserves it. And it'll probably be a two year extension that locks him in for the next, you know, now three seasons. Right. And that'll be that everybody will move on with their lives and be happy about it. And, you know, they'll go chase another Super Bowl. I like it. I like everything you said. I don't disagree with any of it. I think if I'm Chris Jones, I'm probably sitting back and going, I want to retire a chief. And I think if you give me a three-year deal, there's not a guarantee that I do that. Right. So I'm trying to push for that fourth year, and I'm trying to, like you said, kind of make that Aaron Donald per year money. Uh, so is is it realistic that he ends up getting four years, 24 mil per year, and he ends up somewhere in the 90 million range, almost being 30 years old? Is that possible? I don't know. I think four would be kind of wild. Um, it could happen. I think if, if he gets four, he won. He won if he yeah. gets guaranteed money spread over four years. But I don't think... I think I think it'll be a two-year extension, so he'll be on the books for three full years. They'll up the guarantees, and they'll be good to go. I like it. I like it. So yeah, Chris cool. Jones. Hopefully, he gets paid and he's back there because yeah, he's he's the lifeline of that defense. They put him at edge rusher when they need an edge rusher. Like he's everything to that team on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, definitely want to see him back. Uh, and Ray, we had an entire other segment planned to talk about Madden rankings. Uh, that came out and how that was against our ADP. But I think we're going to need a second episode. I don't think we're going to be able to do that today. So yeah, no, uh, not at all. but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to clarify. This is like my bibliography for my work cited. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to clear up something real quick that I said earlier on in this episode, just to Uh-oh. make it crystal clear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley is a different tier of running back and prospect than Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson. I know there's going to be someone on oh, David Johnson had a thousand yards receiving and a thousand. Saquon Barkley is different. And so is Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones. Period. If you put Aaron Jones behind that offensive line that freaking Zeke Elliott had in Dallas, are you are you kidding me right now with how quick he is through the hole? I mean, forget about it. I, I still to this day don't understand how the Cowboys made an aging Darren McFadden who was out of the league 15 months after his time in Dallas a top five rusher in the league. And then they said, we need to draft a running back fourth overall and then say, we need to give this guy big money because clearly he's the guy that's responsible for all this. So just to be totally clear, yes, I am saying that Saquon is one of the few in a different tier than Todd Gurley and those other guys. And yes, I am saying that Brock Purdy has a limited ceiling. Oh my God. Everybody, I promise before the next episode, I will get playoff music like at award ceremonies. So if Ray tries to do this again, I'll just play him off, right? Like we'll only listen to like first two seconds, put the music on. We won't have to listen to him at all. No doubt. You can, (laughs) you you wanted it. You can come at me, but I am crystal clear in what I am saying. I agree with you. I just think that the injuries matter, right? Like, and, and unlike some of those other guys, like Derek Henry's bit, like besides last year, he's been extremely healthy, right? So it's hard to compare and say, I want to give a guy like Saquon this mega deal, mega money when he can't stay injured, uh, he can't stay healthy and stay on the field, right? Like that's a huge Running concern. backs band together, all of you. Refuse <laughs> to play after year three. <laughs> if it fails, it's yeah. better to be the main in the arena, okay? Never happen. Never Hopefully. happen. I think like I've I read something about it, right? Like the only way that that works is if the top guys do it, 
And the top guys will never do it because guess what? They're getting paid. They should. It worked for Zeke. Zeke after year three said, oh, I'm, I'm no, 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 Jerry no, 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 no. Zeke is not a top guy. Let me, no, let me that's clarify. What I'm saying. Let me Correct. clarify. Top guy meaning Patrick Mahomes. Top guy meaning okay. like the top contracts in the NFL. Those guys need to say, okay. And that's why it'll never happen. But we'll right. we'll save it. Like we said, maybe we'll do a segment. You could show me how Saquon stay strong, my right back brother. Stay strong. All right, everybody. I'm gonna say it again. We are open for signups. All dash twenty two dot com. Go sign up. Use promo code Second Season. That's the number two ND season for twenty dollars off off your All Twenty Two membership for twenty twenty three. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have an All Twenty Two membership, I don't know what's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. See a doctor. Get in there because you should be signed up for all 22. You're going to love it. Um, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF. And leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. And thank you again. We appreciate it. 